Hi, guys, and welcome to the Mixtape Podcast. This is the second to last episode of season three of the Mixtape Podcast, and I actually cannot believe it. And thank you to everybody that's listened religiously every single week. This week, today, right now, we are reviewing the movie Psycho. Not the remake, because I don't, what a waste of time that was. What a colossal waste of fucking time the remake was. No, the original Alfred Hitchcock directed 1960 Psycho. It was written by Joseph Stefano, based on the novel by Robert Block. I will be your host. My name is Dean, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Marcelo Inestroza. So, let's get into it. The... Uh, premise of Psycho, if you haven't seen it, and I would implore you to see this. This is a fantastic movie. It is it is one of those movies that is expertly written. The dialogue in this movie is off the chain. It is just such, it's A-grade dialogue. If, if I was running, okay, I'm going to do a little bit of tangent, just two-minute tangent. If I was doing a film class, I would show Psycho. I would sh- I would say this is how you write a movie, this is how you write dialogue, this is how you structure it, and this is how you do a reveal at the end if you're you're trying to keep something hidden from the audience. Everything in this movie to me is perfection and the way that Alfred Hitchcock filmed it. Marcelo knows I'm not a big director person. I don't care who directed a movie as long as it's a good story, but I always noticed I always notice great directing and shit directing. And this is such a well-directed movie. The shots that Alfred uses is so would you agree? The shots that he uses is just like so good. Like he knows. He's he has a vision. He knows. Oh yeah, I definitely agree with that. Listen, I am not the biggest Alfred Hitchcock guy. By that I by that I mean I don't worship the ground. I don't I don't kiss the ground at the I don't kiss the ground that the guy used to walk on, but Alfred Hitchcock is a really, really great guy at composing shots and framing and building suspense within his directorial efforts. Yeah, Alfred Hitchcock was one of the best to do it in his time. Yeah, I'm not a massive Alfred Hitchcock fan, but... Uh, the way that he directed this was just, it, it was brilliant. Anyway, so the premise of this is a secretary embezzles $40,000 from her employer and goes on the run, checks into a remote motel run by a young man under the domination of his mother. So the opening scene, we're in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, it says Friday, December 11th, 2.43 p.m. I don't know if that has any relevance to anything. Does it, or is it just a nothing burger? No, actually, I would, I would, I would think that I would think that has some relevance because I think that um, from the time that this movie starts to the time that the twist happens, I think that you know a couple a, a day passes by or a couple days pass by, so maybe that's why um, the screenplay or the screenplay writer wanted to put that mm. card there mm. other than that i don't I, I don't see any need for it because this movie moves at a brisk pace and this movie doesn't rely on you knowing what time it is or what day it is yeah exactly so i mean maybe it was because it was friday and so she had the weekend until she had to go back to work on a monday but that was said in the dialogue in the script anyway 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that is a good point. Maybe, 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 maybe they did that because they wanted to sort of tell the audience that she has until Monday to bring the money back mm. to the bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, after that, we are in a hotel room and where we get introduced to our main character, Marion Crane, played by Janet Leigh. Yeah. And can I tell you something? I've seen this movie a few times and this is the first time that I've seen, I've watched this movie and every time I looked at Janet Leigh, she was giving me major Margot Robbie vibes. Today, when I watched this movie, no lie, no lies, she looked like Margot Robbie. So I'm... Ah, I'm it's not just me. I'm, it's not just yeah, me. Yeah, so, 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 so I'm completely with you on that one, especially uh, the way that she has her hairstyles, her makeup. Yeah. Um, it's just, She just looks like a... You know, a million bucks. Uh, she's in a hotel room with a man that is her. Uh, they kind of look. She mentions she's on her lunch break, so she's having a booty call in the middle of the day in a random hotel room in the middle of the city um, with a man, and his name is Sam Loomis. So, if you don't know that name, uh, in Halloween, John Carpenter borrowed that for the Doctor, Sam Loomis, and Kevin Williamson borrowed it off him. For um, Billy Loomis, uh, for mm. Scream, so Loomis is like, all around, is fucking everywhere. So anyway, they're having a conversation. He has to go. She's begging him not to go, and he says, "You know, he's in debt." He says, "Look, he's got to pay his wife alimony. He's got to work. He's got so much debt. He cannot be with her unless he's out of debt, and he's got to fly back today." And at first, you think he's being a bit of a dick. At first, you think, oh, he's just flying in and he just wants a booty call and then he's going to fly out. But you actually realize he actually really does love her and he kind of doesn't know, to me, he doesn't know what to do because he doesn't want to bring her into his life because it's all over the place at the moment. It's shit. He has debt. He doesn't know what to do with himself. He's got all these all these loose ends that he's got to tie up and he wants to kind of get that un- under control before he actually commits. That's what I got got off of that. Did you get that vibe off of him or did you think, oh, he's just being a dick? No, when I first saw this movie uh, eons ago, you mentioned that you mentioned at the start of uh, this episode that this movie would be a perfect movie to watch in screenplay writing class. Well, one of the first times that I watched this movie ever was in screenplay writing class. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> wow. And... Yeah, and when I watched this movie for the first time and I saw this scene for the first time, to me he came off as someone who is sort of lying to her and sort of and sort of telling her all this stuff for j- just to just to pacify her, you know, in the moment. Mm. Um because all he thought about was just basically you know, getting a booty call and he, he, he was going to fly out and never come back again. Yeah. But in subsequent rewatches of this film, I've seen it many times now, that, that opinion has changed. I really believe that he is the kind of person that wants to get his life in order before he brings her into it. So what everything that he's saying, right, everything that he says in this scene of the hotel room, to me, after watching this film several times, really seems sincere unlike unlike the first time i saw the film where i thought that he was making all this shit up because uh because he just wanted to get some yeah yeah because that's what it seems like at first but then once they get into the conversation which is about a five minute conversation you realize oh that's why he doesn't want to bring her into his shit so that was the first scene and that 
is important because that establishes his character. Not that he's in it for much, but he does come back later on. It, it establishes her character and it establishes that, you know, he's in debt. He can't be with it. He can't be with her unless he's out of debt, which is like a like the plot, the literal plot points of of the movie. So we move to the first scene, and Marion returns to work, and she works at a like a real estate agent. And it's funny because I've never noticed this before. When she walks in from the street, uh, there's a there's a glass window that you can see out onto the street when she walks in, and that's Alfred Hitchcock standing there, um, like waiting for a cab. I've never even noticed that before. I was like, oh, that's him. And if you're fans of him, you know that he inserts himself into every movie and that was just like a little bit of, oh, I've seen this movie so many times and I've never noticed him standing there before. But you knew he was standing there, yes? Yep. Because you've I, seen it a lot. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that was, uh, that was good old Alfie. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, her boss comes in. She sits down at her desk and she's across from another woman. They kind of just, you know, have, I don't know, words I guess just they're just having a conversation and her boss comes in with a man with a cowboy hat and he's really just he just tries to he's he's old and he just tries to crack on to her and it's just creepy and the boss allows he's a dick he's, he's a dick because the boss <laughs> dick. Just, because this guy has money and unfortunately even in real life when you have money you can pretty do pretty much do whatever the fuck you want so the boss doesn't say anything nobody says anything Marion can hold her own though she's not you know she, she's just giving him what he wants. She's like, yes, the yes. Ah. She's just, she's answering him how uh, basically he would like to be answered. She knows how to work the room basically, which is what I like about her character. She's not triggered. She's not like, oh, get away from me. She just, you know, he's an old guy. He has money. Let him do what he wants to do. And then he starts flashing his money. He's like, I'm putting it down. A, I'm putting a payment on a house for my daughter, $40,000 cash. And then he shows Marion the money. Her boss tells her, look, I don't want to keep the money on the premises because it's Friday, it's nearly at the end of the workday and, you know, he can't do anything now because the banks are closing so he's going to take care of it on Monday. But he says, I need you to go to the bank to put the cash in a bank deposit box until Monday. And so it was just, I don't know, maybe they did that in those times, but she literally had $40,000 in cash in like a big ass envelope and just put it in her purse. And the boss just like trusts her <laughs> to go to the bank and put it. I would, if I was the boss, I would do that, but that's not this movie. This is not a gripe. This is just something that's a bit bizarre. Anyway, that was that scene. And that scene literally sets up, um, pushes the movie forward with what she uh, does next. So what do you think? Yeah. Um, first of all, I just really quickly that the Texan that comes in asking for the loaner the money to buy his daughter the house that he wants after she's going to get married. I think that guy was an asshole. Um, that guy was. Oh, he was just so he was slimy. He was yeah, slimy. Yes. Yeah. He was. He was just so sleazy. He was just so sleazy to the nth degree. I mm. thought it was a little bit pointed that he would just take out money and slam it down right in front of her face because yeah. to me to me that was alfred hitchcock going oh look at this this is the MacGuffin that i'm going to use mm. to push the story forward yeah look i know i know that alfred hitchcock and the screenplay writer already established that sam needs money and he's in the hole mm. and all that but i don't feel that he had that i don't feel that they had to do that particular motion like for me, it would have been enough for for her not to see the money and for her to be handed the money by the manager mm. and then be told, take this money to the bank. 
Yeah. And you know, you know, that would, that would have played more natural to me. Again, this is not a gripe. This is just a, well, sort of like a way, or sort of like a, a, a way that I would rework it to, to mm. flow better, at least for me, mm. you know, on the point that you mentioned that it's very odd that her boss would trust her this way. He, they, they do mention in voiceover that she had been working for him for five years. Yeah. So that begs the question as to why he would trust her to do something like this. Yeah, that's true. The music in this movie, mm. like the, the start, like the, the, I can't sing, so I'm not going to do it. But the score is so fucking good mm. in this movie. Mm-hmm. And particularly in the scene that we have coming up here, the propulsive beat and the and the and the and the and the way that the music uh, indicates that something bad is gonna happen or or something off is gonna happen is just so well done and the mm. way that the composer uses the music to propel the story forward, specifically in the hotel room, which Dean's going to discuss in just a second. Mm. It was just so great. I thought it was the music is, is so stress inducing. (laughs) I mean, it is, it stressed me out as soon as every time that score would play, not the main score with the shower scene, but there's another score that's used. Every time that would start playing, I would get stressed the fuck out, (laughs) but that's what the point was. Yeah, yeah, because the score in itself has this has this driving force to it. If it 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 almost feels like the score is pushing you forward. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's what it feels yeah, like. It's, yeah, it's it's just it's just really uncomfortable. But with that being said, it's really well done. It is, and Alfred, after hearing that score, he actually um, doubled the composer's paycheck. Because he thought the score was so amazing that he's like, no, nah, you need to get oh. paid more. So he doubled his pay. <laughs> That's cool. And he should have That's because okay. it is. It's, awesome. it's a score that everybody knows or most people should know. Uh, as soon as you hear mm. it, you're like, oh, that psycho. So, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, moving on. The next scene, uh, Marion is at home and she's changing her clothes. And, and if you're mov- watching this movie for the first time, it's like, isn't she supposed to go to the bank? <laughs> What's she doing? So she's changing she's and she's packing bag. a bag and I'm like, does she already go to the bank? What's going on? No. No. So anyway, she gets in her car and she she's she stops at um, stoplights and her boss is walking across the the street. Um, the street and spots her in the car. And still at this point, if you haven't seen this, you're like, well, she must be going to the bank. <laughs> That's where she's going. She's going to the no. bank, clearly. And her boss looks at her and she kind of starts freaking out. And you're sitting there like, why is she freaking out? She's going to the bank. <laughs> so, no, but, and her boss no, is but, like, her boss looks at her like, like, what the, f- like, where are you going? And I'm like, she's going to the bank. So you told her to go there. I've still had that in my mind. I'm like, she's clearly going to the bank. Uh, spoiler alert, she's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, but here's the no, no, but here's the thing. I mean, I mean, look. If you were that that scene in her house with her in the bed and seeing the money on the bed, mm. you can tell right away by looking at her luggage that she's not going to the bank. No, she's, she's go- not going. <laughs> yeah, she's not. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but <laughs> if you I, watch I, this I, movie for like, the first time, maybe you think no, she's I, still going to the bank. Yeah, really. no, no. 
no, 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 no. To 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 back up what Dean is saying, if you watch if you watch this movie for the first time, mm. you may have like you may have missed that little detail of mm. seeing her luggage on the bed next to the money. Yeah. So yeah, but um, everything everything about her driving in the car, yeah. stopping at the stoplight, and seeing her boss is is panic inducing. Yeah, it is. It is. Because because if you're paying attention, you know she's not going to the fucking bank. No, she's not going to the bank. <laughs> she is not going to the bank. So she's on the road and she starts falling asleep. So she pulls over and she falls asleep. And, th- oh, God, this fucking cop, man. Fuck. <laughs> this, I swear to God, movies make cops out to be assholes. Honestly. Like, they're inept assholes. Because this fucking cop... She she gets a, a cop she pulls a cop pulls up next to her the next morning she's fallen asleep knocks on the window and she's like oh uh you know I'm sorry I just I fell asleep I was falling asleep and I just pulled over you know have I done something wrong and the cop's like well no and then she starts acting fucking suspicious <laughs> and I'm like oh no just stop just say you felt you know just fucking poker face. And she's just acting like, oh, can I go now? Like, you know, can I, even if she was suspicious, even if she was acting that way, you know, the cop was getting suspicious that she was acting fucking suspicious. She could have, and I was sitting there and I was like, just say that your, your, your sister's having a baby and you need to get to the hospital. Do you know what I mean? That would um, alleviate his suspicion. Like, oh, she's obviously in a hurry, but she never said that. She's just acting suspicious because spoiler alert, she never went to the bank. She's stealing the money. (laughs) And she's going um, to see her boyfriend. But the cop goes, oh, you know, can I see your license? And I'm like, oh, this fucking cop. So he shows, she shows him the license and he looks at her number plate and he gives her back the license and he goes back, he goes back to the car and she starts driving and the cop, it looks like he's following her. And I'm like, oh, my God, this fucking dickhead. And I'm thinking, is that legal? Can you just follow people? Like I was getting so pissed off. Can you just fucking follow random people? Well, he's a cop. He can do whatever he wants. Well, that's um, the, but isn't that the problem? <laughs> that yeah, they but, can do whatever yeah, he, they want. But also, but also, I I just need to mention this movie was made in the sixties. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, cops in the sixties were basically like, were basically they, they could do whatever the fuck they want. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, and it's, it's you know, and it, no, I mean, not to get not to get on my political horse here, but women in the '60s weren't given the same rights that they that they are given today. So yeah, yeah, that's that's true. No, and no, and the other to to move to your point, the way that she was acting when the cop woke her up in the side at the side of the road, I was like, woman, what the hell are you doing? Why are you freaking out right now? Just tell him that you fell asleep on the side of the road and that you're going on vacation or something. Yeah. Why are you wigging out? Yeah, I know. Because because by you wigging out, he's getting suspicious. Mm. And by him getting suspicious, he could search the car. And if he finds the fucking money, you know the jig is up. If he yeah. finds the money, you're fucked. But I think that's why she was suspe- that she was nervous because she's like, oh, fuck, he's going to. He's going to check the car and he's going to see the money and I think that's why she was right. freaking out. Right, but the right, but the but 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 the rule of thumb is if you have something to hide, mm. be as calm as possible and then just get out of there. But yeah. for but for but for tension's sake, I understand why uh Alfred Hitchcock did what he did with that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, when when she when when she takes off, 
uh, when when I was watching this movie today, I must have missed something because I'm like, did she just take off and the cop not give her her license back or something? Because I'm um, like, no, he gave her her license. Yeah, I thought that was a bit weird too. He gave her her license back, walked back to his car, and then she started driving. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, I thought that was weird because like he never said that she could go because I assumed that he was yeah. going back to his car to check her registration. But then I realized it's 1960s. They don't have that shit in the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but also. But it was weird, yeah. You know, you, you know, but also the thing that made me think that he, um, he forgot to give her her license back was the fact that for like, for like, he followed her for like 10 miles. He uh, followed her and then he went off on another road and I was like, oh, okay, cool. So maybe he was just going in that direction. And then, right, then Marion, again. yeah, and this, I have a real, I have a big problem with this scene that we're going to chat about, a big fucking problem. Okay. So Marion goes to a, a car dealership. She wants to sell her car, get a new car because the cop has basically, she doesn't want to get caught. She doesn't want to get tracked down. The cop has looked at her license plate and she's like, no, I don't, I don't need this. So even with the car dealer dude, she was being suspicious. Oh yeah. You can have my car. I'll just take whatever car you want. Oh, do you want to test drive it? No, no, I'll just take it now. (laughs) And he was kind of like, oh, but don't you want to have a look? She's like, no, I just want a car. She's like, can I not just come in here and buy a car? Which is true. Like he was, he was trying to like prolong it when it's like, no, I just want, I just want you to take my car and I will buy a car. So at first I was getting annoyed at her, but then I was getting annoyed at him. And I'm like, dude, just let her buy. Isn't that your job? Like, isn't it easier if she just wants to come in, get in a car and fuck off? Isn't that easier? Yeah. No, actually, actually that would be easier because if she, because if there's something wrong with the cars on your lot, like, like, the more you keep people there and the more you offer people to test the car, the less they're going to buy the car because the minute that they yeah. test the car, they're going to find something wrong with it. So what would be the yeah. problem? What would be the problem with somebody going on your lot saying that they want the car and that's it? So I didn't, I mean, I didn't particularly yeah. understand that scene either. I understood it because it built tension because I was watching it like, oh my God, just fucking let her go. Just let it, like it it, it induced anxiety in me because no, I could see how anxious she was and I was like, yeah, I, I can't get the fuck out of there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but here's the, here's the genius thing about this mm-hmm. movie, folks. Mm-hmm. Everything that we're talking about right now is built on a MacGuffin mm-hmm. that in like, that in like 48 minutes isn't going to matter anymore. Yes. No, well that's true, but people watching this for the first time don't know that. Seriously. But but seriously. Literally none of this. That, <laughs> that that and look, look, and when and when we get to that turn, I have a piece of trivia. Oh yeah. But but that is the most magnificent thing about this movie. Oh yeah. That in about 48 minutes from now. No, the shit that we're talking about is gonna matter. Yeah, totally fooled the audience. Totally, he. What this movie does is it, he sets it up as one movie, and then halfway through the movie, it's a completely different movie. It goes in a completely opposite direction, and you're just like, "What?" <laughs> That's what I love about it. It's two movies literally in one. So mm-hmm. anyway, she's still at the car dealership, and the fucking cop shows up. Now listen, he went in a different direction to her on the highway. How he met up with her, how he knew where she was going when he went like up a hill, right? I have no fucking clue. So he parks his car across the road from the dealership, gets out of the car and stands, leans up against his car and just stares at her. 
doesn't do anything, just stares at her and she spots him and then she gets even more nervous. And then I'm getting nervous because she's getting nervous and I'm already pissed off because this cop is a dick. And then the guy goes, oh, you know, are you sure you don't want to test out a car? And I'm like, dude, give her the keys. Fuck off. <laughs> You've made your – even he said like, oh, I could do the, I could do it for 700 She's like, yeah, that's fine. And he's like, oh. And I'm like, dude, just – no, the guy was annoying me. But I understand it was it was supposed to be like if it was if it was quick, easy, in and out, it wouldn't have been so stress-inducing. So anyway, she gets in the car and the cop gets in his car, does a U-turn in the middle of the road, which is totally illegal. He totally broke road rules there, right? And, which is <laughs> again, what I thought. <laughs> again, again, folks. Again, folks, he's a cop. He can do whatever the fuck he wants, but go ahead. No, but they have to abide by the laws and the rules, and they can't do whatever they want. And that's what, what that's what pissed me off is because this cop was a dick and he was doing whatever he wants because nobody says, anyway, listen, the fact that he did a U-turn in traffic is just, it's a me thing. Okay. Nobody else is going to give a okay. shit. But I was like, you okay. asshole, you broke the rules. Anyway, he drives into the dealership <laughs> and he, he drives in, parks the car near where she is, gets out and just stands there, doesn't even say anything. She gets in the new car oh and God. she starts to drive off while the cop is like walking towards her very slowly like Michael Myers. What and then the a fuck? guy goes, uh, one of the workers there goes, oh, wait a minute. She stops the car and she's forgotten her suitcase. So the guy puts the suitcase in her car. As soon as the cop like gets to her window, she like drives off and you never see the cop again. <laughs> oh my you God. never see That's the cop funny. again. Look, I, I have issues because the whole cop thing was there to up the ante, to up the anxiety, to up the tension, which is what it absolutely did. But it had nothing. To, he didn't. If the cop came back <laughs> later on in the story, I would have preferred that. Uh, if he came looking for Wait her, a bit. but he didn't. He never came back. That's it. The end of the call. No, but, yeah, but here's the well. Look, look, look. Even look. Even now, listening to you talk about the scene, you are giving me anxiety. <laughs> like, what the, I was, I was, I was getting there. so I was much sitting, anxiety. I can't. I can't even tell you. I was sitting here. I'm like, what the fuck? Just giving me anxiety. <laughs> but, but, but look, but but look, but look. You are absolutely right. This cop's only function in this film is to give the audience anxiety in the moment mm. in that our main character, to this point, mm. is going to get caught. Yeah. It, w- it would have been nice if he would have popped up back again and if he would have gone looking or gone looking for her, perhaps, or some, you know, later on in the film. But I think, for the most part, he served his purpose yes. in, in these two sections of the film yes no i agree i have no issue with it i understand why it was there i just wish he would have come back later on because that would have um played that would have played been, not that would have so been cool. stupid yeah that would be cool so anyway, the next scene i really liked i really like what what alfred did with the next scene because marion is driving and we hear her thoughts of anxiety Huh. We hear because at first when you're watching it, you're like, oh, this is what ha- what's happened. But then you realize, no, it's just, you know, when you're in an anxious state, uh, no matter what the situation is, and then your mind starts overthinking and then you start thinking about scenarios, ne- like the worst scenario that could happen. And that's what she's doing. We're hearing her thoughts. So 
she's she's having a she's she's hearing the cop talking to the car salesman and but that never happened it's just she's like oh fuck that's what he's gonna do that's what that's what happens with anxiety is you get all these thoughts that just like aren't real and then her thoughts switch to what's gonna happen when she doesn't show up for work on monday and then she hears her boss talking oh where is she oh let's track her down let's get her and all this stuff and and it's really interesting. I've never, I don't think I've seen a movie where you can hear someone's internal anxious thoughts. And I thought that, did I thought that it worked really, really well. What did you think? I actually had a different take to that. Oh, I actually, okay. I actually, I actually thought for a really, really long time that that was actual dialogues from scenes that we we weren't get we weren't going to get to see. Oh, how. How that how that works? I have yeah. no idea because she was she was in the car, so there's no way that she would have been no. able to project her voice, you know, three days after the fact. But I thought those scenes were pieces of dialogue from scenes that we weren't going to get to see. I thought that at first too, but then I realized during the scene, I was like, "Oh, these are her anxious thoughts." Because right. I know this very well. When I get anxious, I start thinking about the worst case scenario, like, "Oh, what is this person going to think?" And, "Oh, what if this person finds out?" And then I was like, "Oh, these are her Definitely anxiety good. thoughts." And I thought that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, dealing dealing with one's anxiety, especially in your own head, can be really detrimental to your friendships, your relationships. Yeah, like, like. Like if you find yourself in a difficult situation, the best thing you can do is just to take a minute, relax, and don't let your mind run away with you. Because the second your mind runs away with you, that's when you can make mistakes and that's when you can do things that you won't be able to take back later. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it starts raining really heavily and Marion pulls into a a motel. She the pulls score again. The Bates Motel. Yeah, the score, the fucking score. The score. That makes da, 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 da. I mean, you know what? You're absolutely right in what you said. The score does make you feel uncomfortable, <laughs> but, like to the but fucking also, max. But also, but also, I do have to mention that this woman is driving in a fucking hailstorm. She yeah. can't see anything in front of her face. So I don't yeah. know how the fuck she didn't even crash. Yeah, look, I've been in a car where one of my friends was driving, and it. It was like that, and it's scary because you can't see yeah, anything, you and you, see you shit. and you just go at a crawl's pace because yeah. you can't, you don't want to go any faster because it's like you can't see what's in front of you. It's scary, dangerous. Yeah, it's so dangerous. So the next scene, yeah. uh, Marion gets out of the car and she knocks on the motel's office door, and there's nothing. There's nobody there, and then she looks up and there's a house that's near a massive house that's nearby and she sees a woman walk past uh, a lit window and so she gets goes back into the car and starts honking her horn and then we see a man run out of the house to the motel and he he go, he gets to her and he starts apologizing oh, i'm really sorry it was raining like i didn't i didn't hear it i'm um, sorry about the delay and of course this is the amazing anthony perkins aka norman bates um anthony perkins was cast perfectly because he has this innocent persona about him he has this boy-like quality and you just like him he he's really innocent and he's really naive and you like him a lot uh i mean if if nobody's seen this movie for the first time you just instantly you're like i really like this guy he's really awkward doesn't really know what to say yeah yeah you know what you know what you know you know the great thing about anthony perkins in this role Mm. he's disarming he is, yes, perfect, perfect word. He's <laughs> disarming to the max, and you just trust you him straight guy, away. You see this guy, and you're like, 
this guy, this guy wouldn't hurt a fly. Hint, hint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. You see, yeah. you see what I did? See what I did there? <laughs> I see what you did there. Yep. It'll circle Yo, back yeah, at the end. Yes, it'll yeah, circle. It'll circle, it'll circle back. It'll circle back. We'll circle but, but back. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but you're right. But but you're absolutely right. Um, he is really disarming. He seems really innocent, and also, um, he just seems like a good guy. And I think that yeah. really that I, I think that that I think that that choice by Anthony Perkins and Alfred Hitchcock to make the character like that really, really, really played uh in their favor to doing what they're doing what they're going to do with this character throughout the rest of the movie oh yeah so they go inside the office and he says there's no one else staying in the motel they don't really have many people because they're off they're kind of off the highway and she mentions she's like is there anywhere to eat around here she's he's like but about 10 miles down the road and obviously it's pissing down she doesn't want to go anywhere and he says look um i just live in the house that he came out of he goes look, do you want to come up there and, you know, we can have dinner. I don't have much, but if you're hungry. And she agrees because, like you said, he's so disarming and so innocent. So why wouldn't she go to this guy's house? Because he doesn't project red flags. He doesn't project serial killer vibes. (laughs) He doesn't. And so it's like, oh, and I would probably do the same thing. I'd be like, yeah, okay, because it's just there's nothing weird about him. No, but also, no, no, but also I just want to point out there's a reason why he doesn't, um, there's a reason why he doesn't give off those vibes, but we'll get to that way later. Oh, yeah, yeah, Um, there is, absolutely. Yeah, 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 we'll we'll get to that, but on you go. So he goes back to the house and he's he's grabbing the, the, the dinner. The food. And then Marion hears a yelling match between Norman and a woman, which we'll find out is his mother. And mother, sorry. You know, sorry, he, you gonna... can hear the mother going, oh, you know, I don't want to have her in my house. And, you know, he, and then you hear Norman say, oh, mother, she's, it's raining and she's hungry. And the mother just starts putting Norman down horribly. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're no good and you're this and you're that. Like, it's just like a horrible screaming match and norman tells her shut up shut up mother shut up and then you see her him emerge from the house with a tray and it's got it's got food on it and i think that's it i think that's the that's the scene and then we go to the next scene so is there any more thoughts on that yeah i think you know i you know you know i think that this this guy is just someone who who you know he's one of those people who for for one reason or another got stuck at home dealing with their parents and for some reason this guy feels beholden to his mother to be there to help her. And he just seems like a guy who is stuck yeah. in a situation that he doesn't want to be in. Yeah. But you think, but seriously, you may think that the first time you watch this movie, but if you've seen this movie several times, like we have, mm-hmm. you know, exactly what's, you know, exactly what's happening here, but we're not going to yeah. go into that. Not just yet. No. So Norman Norman gets to uh, Marion and just apologizes for his mother. And they go into the office, into into his back office, and Marion notices all these taxidermy birds on the wall. And they start talking. And this is probably one of my favorite scenes because it's so dialogue heavy, but you know everything you need to know about him and her just in that one scene. The dialogue is just uh, brilliant. So they start talking, they start having a conversation, and he's explaining he likes to taxidermy birds because they're beautiful and he doesn't like to taxidermy dogs or cats or other animals just just the birds he just likes stuffing the birds and you know marion starts asking him questions you know you know that's not really nice what your mother said to you and 
you know, he just shrugs it off and she asks him, like, do you, do you go out with friends or anything? Because, like, he just seems lonely. And this is when the f- famous dialogue, he says, a boy's best friend is his mother. And <laughs> as soon as he says great. that, a great line, as great. soon as he says that, as an audience member, there's Uh-oh. a little bit of a red flag that starts to emerge, <laughs> a little bit. Right. So before there was nothing. And then you go, wait a minute, that's strange. But you don't think anything yet. You just think, oh, maybe he's just, maybe he just really, really is close with his mum. But it's a little bit of a red flag. And then Marion mentions mentions the way, again, that she spoke to him. And Norman says, you know, she's ill after her her lover died. And then he explains the story about the mum. Uh, took a boyfriend and then the boyfriend died and then the mother, his mother couldn't handle it and then his mother killed killed herself. Not killed herself. His mother couldn't handle it and she is mentally ill because she lost her lover. That's the that's the problem, right? So she's he's trying to make excuses for the way that she treats him. And so Marion says, well, if she's mentally ill, you know, have you ever thought about putting her in, you know, and she, he's like, what? like an institution, like a madhouse. And he says, do you know what happens there? I could never do that to someone I loved, even if I hated them. And then you go, mm, is, that's a little bit of a red flag too, but not much, but like just a little bit. And then he says, she's as harmless as the stuffed birds on the wall. And obviously <laughs> if you know the movie, that's a beautiful yeah. prelude mm. to, uh-huh. to everything that's going to happen. And she <laughs> and 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 he she says, look, I mean well. And this is when his anger starts to come to the surface slightly. Just just there's just a little bit of anger that comes out from him. And then he and then as soon as he realizes it, he pulls it back. I mean, Anthony Perkins does a beautiful job. He just just a little bit of anger and then he pulls it back. And then he says, mm-hmm. Oh, she needs me. And then he says, obviously, the other famous line, she just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little oh. mad sometimes. Yeah, and, I mean, it's just, man. and it's like, oh, okay. But then his use of the word mad is a little bit, mm, okay. And then Marion, through their conversation, Marion realizes that that what she did was wrong. And she decides she's going to go back and rectify the situation and give the money back. Like she just, because she's got a good heart. She doesn't want to be a bad person. She doesn't want to do this. Even if it means being with the man she loves, she cannot steal this money. So she leaves and she goes back to her, her, her hotel room. Now, as she goes back to her hotel room, she's in number one, which is directly on the other side of his office. So she goes back to her room and we stay with Norman. And then Norman lifts a painting off the wall and there's a peephole directly into Marion's room and he watches her get changed. And that's when you go, you know, you don't get it yet. You don't get it yet. You've gotten glimpses of, of his mental state, but not enough to sort of go, okay, he's a serial killer, he's a mental case. When he does that, you still don't understand, but then you go, oh, that's that's a bit weird. But then you think, oh, maybe he's just lonely. Like you don't think he's an asshole. You just think, oh, he's just, she's just a bit lonely. It's a little bit of a red flag, but that entire conversation between them was, was beautiful. It showed you sides of Norman mm-hmm. that you 
you don't see kind of again. So, but then it comes back in the end when you find out kind of what's going on. So what do you think about that uh, scene and the dialogue and everything? Yeah, that that entire scene in his back office with the taxidermy is great because that tells you so much about his mental state and what he thinks. And that tells you so much about his relationship with his mother and how his mother got that way. And also that tells you about, um, you know, you know, some of just just some of the things that he says in, um, you know, you know, in, in that conversation, like, you know, um, you know, a boy's best friend is his mother. That's a little odd. Right. And then, you know, he says, oh, I would never put my mother in an insane asylum, no matter if I hated her. That's a little bit suspect. But just the way that he talks about his mother and the way that he dotes on her really tells you that their relationship is one of difficulty, but their their relationship is one of respect and love, or so we think, especially if you're watching this movie for the first time. So there is a couple of things in the scene that make you go, make you do a double take and make you go, wait a minute. But ultimately, I thought that was a great scene to get to know Norman and to get to know our 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 main character mm. to this point a little bit better. Yeah. Um, I do want to just point out mm. one of my favorite shots in film history is in this movie, mm-hmm. um, okay. and, and and it's not the one that you think. Um, it's the one where Norman picks up the painting and he looks at the people. Yeah, and Alfred and Alfred Hitchcock. Just, I don't know how the hell he did this in 1960, but he shows uh, a side shot of Anthony Perkins' eyeball. Oh, the- yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is such a fucking awesome shot. Mm. I'm like, how in the fuck did they do that in 1960? It's so amazing. Yeah. Um, it's it's so good that, um, that, um, that um, Martin Scorsese did the same shot in uh, in Goodfellas mm. in uh, in ninety four. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but actually, actually, that's that's one of my favorite shots in film history. I love it so much. Yeah, it's a great um, shot. With 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 him with him peeping into uh, um, the, uh, the the room mm. when when I saw this movie for the first time, I was like. This is a little odd, yeah. but I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't concerned yet, but I was getting there. Mm. I was definitely getting there at, the, at this point. Yeah. So the next scene is the infamous, it's the shower scene. And mm. I think even if you haven't seen this movie, you know, you've seen the shower scene. I mean, certainly you've seen the shower scene. I'll just explain it briefly. She gets in the shower and uh, you see on the other side of the, the um uh the what is it the curtain the curtain the shower curtain someone comes in the they pull the show shower curtain back it's a it's a woman and she just kills Janet Lee she just stabs her and then the beautiful the beautiful um uh, psycho music comes in it's yeah. a beautifully shot mm-hmm. scene it's um it's delicately shot you don't see anything which I appreciate nope. you That's see nothing. worse. Yeah, you see, you don't see the knife going in. You don't see, I mean, it's black and white. You don't see the blood. You don't see, you know, if this was filmed now, you would fucking see tits galore. Uh, you don't, oh, he's yeah. filmed it so 
um, like I said, delicately, that you don't see any bits. You see what you see what you need to see, and, he's, and he does a the editor does a quick succession of shots, so you think you're seeing the knife stabbing Janet Lee, but you're not. But this is the power of editing; like it's happening in the movie, but you yeah, don't you don't see what you think you see. And this is this is nope. the, the this is the great editing of this movie. So, any thoughts on the shower scene? Yeah, I have a couple. Um, this was the first scene to ever show a toilet. Uh, this was the first <laughs> movie to ever show a toilet. And this is why you don't do trivia. I do trivia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. No. Yeah. I don't know. No. No. But this is this is the first movie to ever show a toilet in a film. Wow. And I I can't believe it took until 1960 to show a toilet. Um, but when Janet Lee goes into the shower and she breaks up that letter that she was writing and she tosses it to the toilet, she flushes it yeah. before she gets in the shower. Yep. Um, that's the first time that you see a toilet. And secondly, um, at this point in the movie, this is about 40, about 48, 48 minutes into the movie. Mm. Um, okay. I'm going to just tell you guys something. Um, the reason, like, 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 I, I assume that a bunch of you listening to this pod, the, our podcast, some of you are horror fans out there because we've covered a lot of horror movies. Do you guys know why, um, why, um, Jerry, um, Drew Barrymore's death in the original Scream worked so fucking well? You guys, do you guys know why that worked so fucking well and that worked why? because of this movie? Mm. Because this movie did something that nobody's ever seen before. Yes. This at, at at the time, this movie took the main character and 48 minutes into the film, the director said, Oh, well, fuck it. I'm going to kill my main character. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the audience is going, wait a minute. You did what? What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. What the, what the hell? Yeah. And, and that look, that the the shower scene is one of the most iconic scenes in film history, mm. but that is also the scene where the where the movie goes from right side up to upside down. Yes, and you're like going, "What the hell is going to happen next?" It is so well done. It is so well shot. The fact that Alfred Hitchcock doesn't show her bits or doesn't show what you would think you would see in the scene mm. is just great. The way that he allows the violence to be the center of the scene mm. is just great. Yeah, he killed off the protagonist of it. We've been following Marion for 48 minutes and then he kills her off. Like what a shock that would be if you were in the cinema. You'd be like, well, yeah, wait yeah, a minute, where does this story go now? She's dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, I can't imagine what it, what it must have been like to see, to see this movie in 1960. In, in the feed, yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. And that's why it's such a masterpiece because, like you said, nobody had ever done that before. So yeah. after that scene, uh, Norman Norman comes in and he finds he finds her dead body on the well, half in the bath, half out. She's pulled the shower curtain down and she's fallen out. And you can hear Norman yelling, "Mother! Oh God! Oh God! What did you do, Mother? Mother! Mother!" And he runs down. Oh no! Sorry. Let me get. Let me let me reverse that. <laughs> because I can't read my writing. I'm (laughs) going to rewind. So at the house, Norman hasn't come to the hotel room yet. At the house, he's talking to his mother and you can hear him going, oh, my God, mother, 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 oh, God, what did you do? As if his mother's just said, I've just killed that 
you know, little blonde bitch. He's run down to the hotel. He's burst into the room and he's seen her dead. And he's visibly shaken. This is what, this is what, if you're watching this for the first time, it's like, oh, he is visibly like, oh my God, what the hell? Like he, he doesn't know what to do. He's sweating. He's nervous. He's, he's got anxiety. Like he's just, he, he just, you know, if you killed someone, you're not going to come and discover the body and act like that. So if you're watching this movie for the first time, you're like, well, fuck, like this poor boy, his mother is <laughs> going around killing people. And so he goes outside, he grabs them off and he starts cleaning up the blood and he wraps Marianne's body in a shower curtain and he puts her in the trunk of her own car, drives the car to a swamp and pushes it in. And you're kind of thinking, what the, f- like, why wouldn't you call the police? But then you sa- but then you realize, comes back to the dialogue he said before, a boy's best friend is his mother. He can't turn his mother in. He couldn't possibly do that. Like he loves her so much. He's willing to, to cover up a crime for her, which is what you think he's doing. Mm. So what, yeah, say right. you? what say you? No, I, no, I, uh, with, with, with Norman going to the house and then, and then supposedly his mother telling him, Oh, I killed that blonde bitch. And now you have to take care of it. It's very, very impactful when he enters the uh the the hotel room and he sees the body of janet lee there uh in the shower and the way that he cleans up he cleans all the blood is great the way that he washes his hands the way that he every everything that everything that uh anthony perkins does in this scene disarms you and it's like oh it can't be him because he was about to throw up and somebody who just killed somebody would not act like this so yeah. everything that he does in this scene really tells you, like Dean said, mm. it really tells you that although his mother is a disturbed person, mm. he does not have the willpower to turn his mother in and that he will go through unbelievable lengths to hide his mother's mm. disturbing behavior. Yeah, exactly. So we're back with Sam Loomis, which was Marion's boyfriend at the beginning of the movie in the hotel, and he's at work, and Marion's sister comes in. And she goes to him and she says, is Marion with you? Please tell me if she's here. And he's like, no, she's not. She's not here. I haven't, I don't know where she is. And she says she hasn't heard from her. And then a PI shows up. Uh, he's, he's investigating where she is because she's stolen $40,000. So obviously, you know, her boss knows, everybody knows, and he's hired a PI, a private PI to investigate where the fuck she's gone to get the money back. And so the PI shows up at Bates Motel and he says he's checked all the other motels in town. This is the last one. So that makes sense because at first you're thinking, oh, why would he go, like how, how would he even know to go there? But that one line of dialogue is like, oh, okay, so he's checked all the other motels around town. He's just that because that's, oh, that makes, to me that made sense why he was there. You don't need to see him checking all the other hotels. No. He just needs no, to say it. And now he's where he no. needs to be. Cuts out a lot of fucking time. So he no, knows. No, no, it's no. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just to, I didn't mean to step on you there. But just real quick, it's very, very efficient because sometimes, mm-hmm. as screenplay writers, you you know that you want to you know that you want to get somewhere, but you realize that if you go to that place, there are going to be these lingering things that you need to sort of explain to make what it, to make what it is you're about to say make sense. Yes. And, and sometimes you just need to put like one or two lines of dialogue 
to 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 cover that hole that you just made mm. trying to get to a certain scene or, or or to get to a certain piece of dialogue mm. in a scene and i think that the way that the writer just put that piece of dialogue in there was a way to cover up a hole that he just created yeah exactly so this pi he tells norman he's looking for this woman named marion he shows her him a photo and norman says oh he hasn't seen her and the pi goes well can i check the sign ins and Norman's like, yeah, okay, you can, you can, you can check. And he sees her name. She's used Marion Samuels instead of Marion Crane. And he goes, oh no, this is it. This is, this is, this is her. She's checked. She she checked in. And then Norman's like, oh yeah, I remember her. And now he's nervous. Now he's nervous. And now the PI is like, well, why did he just, why did he just lie to me? And then he starts saying nervous shit, and he starts messing up. He starts saying things he shouldn't said, and then he he just he mentions, oh, his mother, you know, met her, and so he so the PA goes, oh, I'll talk to your mum then, and he's like, oh no no, you know no no, and he just shuts off the conversation and leaves, and it's like, oh my god, that is not how. What this is okay? Look, I look, I don't break the law, right? Just putting that shit out there. But what I would have done is I would have said if the PI came in, I would have said, looked at the photo, I was like, oh, yeah, I saw her. She she checked in on, on Friday. Oh, okay, you know, can I see the book? Yeah, you can see the book so, that, you know, everything lines up. Oh, where is she? Well, she checked in on Friday and she checked out uh, on Saturday morning and, and that was it. I never saw her again. If he just said that, that would be the end of it. And the PI would go, oh, well, fuck, maybe, okay, well, where do I go next? But Norman is so nervous, just like Marion was in the car with the cop. And I'm like, oh, my God, stop getting nervous. Just you can tell the truth, tell a half-truth and a half-lie, and people will believe anything. So yeah. that's just, that's just it works. kind of – Yeah, it works. It works. So anyway, what did you think about that before I move on to the next scene? No, you know what? Look, I uh, again, again, Norman's behavior tracks because – He's the one that found the body and had to deal with it because of what his mother did. But again, what Dean just said makes a whole lot of sense. If you don't want to get caught or if you've done something suspicious, not I'm not saying that you killed someone, but if you've done something that you don't want other individuals to find out, tell a half lie. And if you do that, whoever's questioning you will eventually go away. But the But the facts are... That when when the investigator pushed Norman, he panicked. So that made the investigator think that he's onto something here. Yeah, exactly. So the PI leaves and he goes to a phone booth and he makes a call to the sister. And he's saying that, look, I'm at the Bates Motel. I know she stayed here, but I kind of want to find out more because apparently, you know, the mother spoke to her and, you know, I, I need to find out some more information, but I'll, I'll see you in an hour. I'll get back to town in an hour and I'll tell you more about what happened. And then he goes to the house, Norman's house, and he just walks in, just just walks in, and then he heads upstairs, and then as he gets to the top of the stairs, the mother pops out and just fucking kills him, stabs him, kills him, and that's it. <laughs> Dead. No, but you, no, but the but the genius thing about this scene is the way that <laughs> Alfred, you know, Alfred Hitchcock shot it because he's walking up the stairs, and when he gets to the top. You see the mother come out and the stabbing begin, but the but he must have put like the actor on a, on a dolly or something, because oh, because yeah. he's he's going down the stairs, but he's still standing. Yes. So the 
the actor is moving down the stairs, but I swear to God, he must have put him on a dolly because yeah. that shit, that shit would would not be possible without a dolly. It's yeah. just a great shot. A great and show. if you guys don't know what, a, um, yeah, sorry for the director speak, but it's it's basically like a a, a platform, mm. and and the actor would be standing on the platform and and to shoot the thing. Uh, a guy would be physically dragging the actor on the platform mm. down the stairs. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry for the director's speak, guys, but that's such a great mm. shot. And then when he finally is the bottom of the stairs, mm. the mother comes down the stairs and and the and with the, the uh, Alfred focuses on the knife and he goes, Hah! it's just a great shot. Yeah. Such yeah. a great shot. Also, that fucking music scared the shit <laughs> out of me. I know. It's it's it still does it because it comes out of nowhere. It's just Kanye, like I know. It, it's so <laughs> terrifying. I know. So terrifying. So Marion's sister is waiting for the PI. And it's been three hours. And she's getting a bit can anxious. I just, yeah. Can I just ask you something? Yeah. Is this actress the same actress who's in the birds? I don't know. Is it I I because I'm like I don't know. That, that, I'm like I don't know. I gotta. I kind of looked it up. I gotta look it up. Yeah, I don't know. She looks familiar, is. but I don't know. I, I think it is. So yeah, she's she's waiting for the PI, and he's late, and he's it's like three hours late, and she goes, "No, there's something wrong. There's something wrong." And Sam is there with her, and Sam, she goes, "I need to go to the hotel, I, the motel where he's at. I need to have a look." And Sam says, "No, no, no. I'll go instead. You wait here to see if he comes back." So Sam goes to the motel, doesn't find anything, doesn't find Norman, doesn't find anything. He does look up at the house and sees a woman in the window, though, but he doesn't investigate any further. And that's that's the end of that scene. Then he goes back. Sam is just trying to be the the man. He's trying to protect the girl. But I understand, I understand that she wants to be a part of it and she wants to find her sister. So I understand the reason why she's very insistent on on you know, on, 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 on joining him and in mm. investigating the mm. disappearance of her sister. But I understand what Sam, why Sam did what he did in that particular scene. Yeah. So Marion suggests, not Marion, Marion's sister, Marion's dead. <laughs> Marion's sister yeah. suggests. Mar- Marion is dead. <laughs> Marion's dead. She died fucking 20 minutes ago. So to go to the sheriff because she doesn't know what else to do. So Sam and, Sam and Marion's sister go to the sheriff, who is so dismissive of what they're fucking saying and is the most inept sheriff. I'm telling you, all law enforcement in this movie is just like dumb dumbs and they just don't care and they just don't fucking do anything. And Marion tells them he he wants to question she wants to question Norman's mother, because that's that's the last person that spoke to 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 Marion and you know Norman won't let anyone see the mother and the sheriff tells them that Norman's mother has been dead for 10 years and so Marion's sister and Sam kind of look at each other and don't really know what to do and then the sheriff says his mother poisoned her lover when she found out he was married then poisoned herself and then Norman found them in the bed dead together so this is completely different to the story that norman told and so you're like oh shit so sam insists he goes no 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 the mother's not dead i saw the mother in the window of the house and so the sheriff says 
If that's his mother in the house, then who is buried in Green Long Cemetery? And I love that line of dialogue because it's like if you're watching this movie for the first time, it's like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> yeah. I'm you're even more confused than you were before. Yeah, no, no. Look, look, if that if that line of dialogue does anything, it tells you what Dean just said. What the fuck is going on? I'm more confused than 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 anything. Also, that also does beg the quench that also does beg the question of Norman's mental capacity to this point. Mm. Because all look, all that we have been shown is that his mother is alive and well. So as, if his mother is alive and well, who the fuck has been killing all these people? Yeah. Yeah. So we go back to Norman and Norman enters his house. And he goes upstairs and he goes into a room and Alfred Hitchcock films in such a beautiful way. He films it from above, like he's from like he's he's filming from the ceiling in the corridor. So he films Norman. He doesn't move the camera. You can see outside of the room that Norman enters. You can't see in the room, but you can hear the dialogue that he's having with his mother. And he's saying, look, people are going to come to the house looking for the PI, looking for Marion, and I I have to, I can't have you here. And she's like, I'm not going anywhere. You're not going to hide me. You're not going to put me in the cellar again. And he's like, well, I have to because you know, unless I just, I have to. And she's just like, no, 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 you're not doing that. Don't touch me. And he's like, well, I'm going to do it. And so, you know, I'm sorry, mother, I'm going to do it. So you see him still, we're still in the hallway. We're not seeing this. We're just hearing the conversation. And then Norman comes out and the camera is so high that you can't, you can't see it. You see him carrying somebody like a little old lady down the stairs, but you can't, exactly see who Great he's choice. carrying it's it's a it's a beautiful shot such a used by afrit such a such a fucking amazing shot because dean is absolutely right this entire scene is Alfred hitchcock saying hey i'm gonna put a fucking cal- i'm gonna fucking put a camera on the ceiling and it's gonna be cool and it's gonna work and guess what mm. guys it works to perfection because everything about the scene show it it's sure he he shows you what's happening, but he doesn't show you anything. Yes. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Because, because as the scene goes on, you're like, oh, so wait a minute. His, so wait, is his mother dead or is his mother alive? Because if you're watching this movie for the first time, you're like, he's talking to somebody. So yeah. who the fuck? So, <laughs> so if, if, if that's not his mother, who the fuck is it? Yeah, exactly. Because you're right, he's talking to somebody. <laughs> so, you know, who's he talking to? So Marion's sister and Sam decide, well, fuck this, we're going to take matters into our own hands, and they decide to go out to Bates Motel and pose as a married couple just checking in. So Sam kind of distracts Norman, and Marion's sister goes to the house to find the mum. So she walks in and... She's she's kind of looking around and she goes upstairs and she goes into the mother's bedroom and obviously his his mum's not in there he's moved his mum and the she's looking around the room and then she goes into Norman's room and this is really interesting Norman's room looks like a room of a from a, of a ten year old boy he's got you know baseball things on the wall he's got a single bed with like you know it, it just looks like there's there's toys and it's like what the fuck. And you're like, this can't be Norman's room. He's a grown-ass man. But you'll see why that his room is like that 
later and there's no dialogue because obviously she's by herself but I just thought that that was a beautiful um, choice for set design so Norman realizes while he's talking to Sam you know he's like where, where's your wife where, where is she and then he realizes she's in the house so he rushes inside the house meanwhile she she rushes uh, Marion's sister rushes down to the cellar because that's the only because she's in front of the front door she's like fuck where am I going to go I don't want to go upstairs because we know don't run upstairs so she runs into the cellar and she comes across an old lady sitting in a chair from we see her from behind and so she puts she puts her arm out on her uh, onto her shoulders to try, try to turn her around Ooh. and it's a it's just a close up of a skeleton badly decomposed oh, skeleton and you're like what and then norman norman busts comes in, out of nowhere comes out of nowhere busts in in a dress and a wig with a knife sam grabs him and and subdues him onto the ground and if you're watching this for the first time you're just like what the fuck <laughs> You're even <laughs> more confused. So tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. That that moment again is one of the best moments in cinematic history because um, she goes into the cellar. You see a, a the the, the the figure of a woman sitting there in the cellar, and you think, oh, that's that's the woman that Norman has been talking to this entire time. But when when you know she reaches out to talk to the old woman the thing turns around and it's a skeleton so the moment that that happens you understand that norman's mother or whoever the fuck he was talking to is dead so you're like he wasn't talking to anybody so the person that he was talking to was himself and you're like what the holy fuck and then and you know and then when norman comes out of nowhere in a dress a wig and wearing a knife, you're like, oh my god, it was fucking Norman this whole time. <laughs> it, it was, it, I mean, look, now, look, when I first saw this movie, it was great. Granted, I knew Psycho before I saw the movie, so I knew what was going to mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. But still, the reveal is great, the way that Alfred shot it, the way that his the 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 the, the actress screened her head off when the... Mm-hmm. When the thing was revealed, which is a really cool way that Alfred Hitchcock pulled that off. I don't know if that's in your trivia, but I hope it is. It's it, not. It's just, uh, well, okay. So tell me the way that the way that Alfred Hitchcock got her the 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 actress to scream so effectively when the skeleton is revealed is Alfred Hitchcock had one of his ads pour freezing cold water on the actress. <laughs> <laughs> Without he was without, known to do uh, that shit to actors. Yeah, yeah. Without, I mean, I mean, for heaven's sakes, just, just, uh, just, just. Uh, if you hear about what he did to his act, his actors and his actresses during the birds. Oh yeah, you know that Alfred Hitchcock doesn't. Oh, he doesn't. He's uh, right. he, he was tough. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but yeah, that, yeah. So he got one of his ads to splash a cold bucket of water on on um on the poor actress to get her to scream <laughs> like that. <laughs> but, uh, but lastly, the, the reveal in this movie is so amazing. Mm. And I, and I can only imagine what, what it must've been like in 1960 with the audience watching it <laughs> in the theater for the first time. Yeah. Cause 
to this day, it's still one of the best reveals in cinematic history for me. Yeah, it is. It is. So the next scene is great because it's just dialogue. We're at the police station. Mm-hmm. Norman is in custody and there's a detective that comes out that says he's spoken with Norman and he knows what the, he knows what's what's happening. He explains to the audience what's mm-hmm. happening. And I love it. I love it. I I don't know, do you not like it? Um, look, nowadays the audience is uh, uh nowadays I believe that um uh nowadays I believe that audiences are savvy enough and have seen enough of this shit to understand why Norman is the way that he was. Mm. But I understand why Alfred Hitchcock did that in 1960 because yeah. in 1960 the audiences weren't as savvy as they are today. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I believe that that explanation in our time isn't necessary and is superfluous. You could just throw it out. Yeah. But in 1960, I think it's it's something that Alfred Hitchcock had to do. Yeah. Because I don't think that the audience in 1960 would have really gotten it unless he would have sat them down and sort of explained it to them. Yeah. So what we find out is uh, this is the third time this story has been told. It was first told by Norman, which was a lie, and then it was told by the sheriff, which was also a lie but unbeknownst to the sheriff. And now we find out the real story about what happened to his mum. We find out he killed his mum and the lover because he was jealous at the attention that she was showing another man. This is how attached he was to his mum. So he killed his mum. But what he did was he wanted to erase the memory of doing it. So he stole her body from the cemetery and began to speak for her as if she was still alive. So what he did is he kind of compartmentalised what he did and made it like, oh, it never happened. And when he brought his mother's body home from the cemetery and was talking as her, it, it, it kind of he took on the persona of his mother and he thought that he really was his mother. And that persona has almost, as what he said in the movie, has almost completely taken over his mind. So Norman is just not there anymore. He's just completely transformed into his mother. And I, I I love that explanation because I think if that happened in real life, if somebody did that, that would happen. It's not something that's sci-fi. It's something that that could be what's the word? Uh could be a mental illness. That, no, no, that's uh that's uh split personality disorder. Yes, split personality disorder. So yeah. Yeah, I really I like that scene. I know that I mean I get what you're saying about the like the audience and all that, but I liked it. Yeah, no, um, no, it, no, it, no. It makes complete sense as to as to why Norman, you know, everything everything that Norman says about his mother in this movie, and the way that he speaks about his mother with so much with so much respect and reverence makes a whole lot of sense after you figure out that he sort of took on the personality of his mother after killing his mother because he was he thought that his mother was giving too much attention to his lover and not enough to him. But that also explains why his bedroom is the way that it is, because if he was taking on the personality of his mother, then his true personality, the Norman personality, he would view that personality as one of a child. So that's why his room looks the way that it is. Exactly. Now, the next scene is Anthony Perkins, and it's just 
it's again, it's his inner dialogue in his mind, what he's thinking as his mother. And it's just Alfred just pushes in on him very, very slowly. And I'm going to read out the dialogue because this dialogue is beautiful. It may be the best monologue in cinematic history. I'm going to read it out. So we're pushing it on Anthony Perkins' face. And this is what he's thinking as his mother. It's sad when a mother has to speak the words that condemn her own son. But I couldn't allow them to believe that I would commit murder. They'll put him away now, as I should have years ago. He was always bad, and in the end, he intended to to tell them I killed those girls and that man, as if I could do anything but just sit and stare, like one of his stuffed birds. They know I can't move a finger, and I won't. I'll just sit here and be quiet, just in case they do suspect me. They're probably watching me. Well, let them. Let them see what kind of a person I am. I'm not even going to swat that fly. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say why she wouldn't even harm a fly. (laughs) Absolutely love that dialogue. And it's just as soon as that dialogue finishes, it's a close-up on Anthony Perkins' face and he just has this psychotic look on his face. And to me, that should have been the final shot of the movie. It wasn't. Yeah. But it should have it, it should have ended there. But the final god shot is they discover it. Marion's car. Oh god. But we don't damn need it. to you know, know that. Because in no, the dialogue I mean, she's already dead. Yes, in the dialogue that the detective was saying, he actually mentions that he must have um he must have dumped the car in the surrounding swamp. So I think that would be would, would have been enough. Just it should have ended on his face. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You know what? I mean, listen that that piece of dialogue. I have no. It's uh, I have no complaints about it. If ands or buts about it. Mm-hmm. It's one of the it's one of the greatest pieces of dialogue in a horror film ever. Um, yeah. <clears throat> because because it shows you how how it shows you how mentally broken Norman's mind is and how how physically gone he is. Yeah, I just love um, how he's thinking it in his mum's voice. I love yes. that. Yes. It's, it's just so creepy. So anyway, that's I mean, you know, and the, and, you know, and the and the whole thing about oh, she would never harm a fly. It's just great. It's like I'm just yeah, it's just a, I mean the 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 oversense of the paranoia in the di- in the in the monologue is so great. It's so wonderful. I do agree with you 100. percent uh, As a matter of fact, the first time I saw this movie in screenplay writing class, I was pissed off that he had one more shot yeah. of the car because uh, I was like, "God damn it! Just end it on his face. It would have been great. It would so good." I, you know, when 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 we finished the movie in screenplay writing class, our professor, who was one of the worst screenplay writing professors ever, yeah. Um, um, I'm so glad that I found a proper professor. Mm-hmm. Um. Yes, I'm so glad. Um, anyway, he may, he he asked us, you know, uh, what what do we think about it? And the first thing I said was, uh, Alfred Hitchcock just should cut it on Andy Perkins' face because that's the ending right there. You don't need to see the yeah. car. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah. By this and, point, uh, you've forgotten about the fucking car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, I, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know why Alfred Hitchcock thought that he had to go back to the car, but he did. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, shall I go to my trivia? Yes. Off you go. Okay. So 
Alfred Hitchcock didn't give the cast and crew the ending of the movie until they shot it, until the day they shot it. He didn't tell anybody. Ooh. I like good it when on directors him. didn't do that. I like it a lot. Yeah, good on him. Good on him. You know, they you know they they have this tradition um, with the screen movies. Mm. Nobody, yeah. Uh, 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 yeah, often off. Uh, well, they have a couple of traditions with the screen movies, but one of the traditions is they 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 often print out various versions of the script, and they don't tell the cast who the killer is until mm. they absolutely have to. Yeah, yeah. And and the other thing that they do real quick is that all the main cast members never ever ever meet the ghost to ghost face yeah. until the movie is up it, until the movie is absolutely done. Yeah. Yeah. Um which is really creepy and really discerning, but they do that for a purpose. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, in the shower scene, there is a shot from underneath the shower where it's just um the shower he's just got a shot of of the shower on. Mm-hmm. You remember that yeah. shot? So yes, I do. So that was actually a six-foot makeshift shower head. <laughs> so oh my god! Because the camera couldn't get wet, so when they turned the shower on, the water would come out, but the camera would be in the middle of it, so the camera wouldn't get wet. But he needed that shot from below. How did he do it? Well, that's it. That's how he did it. He made yeah. a six-foot-wide shower thing, and when the water came out, the camera was in the middle, so the camera didn't get wet. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, okay. Wow. And I was like, oh, wow, that's oh, really holy, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. That's that's great. That's okay. really, really great. That's really great. I mean, that, that really shows you that Alfred Hitchcock was uh, – Alfred Hitchcock really knew how to think on his feet because a lot of directors yes. at that time – wouldn't know what to do to get that no, shot. No, now, directors now don't know what to do. <laughs> <So> <laughs> hasn't changed. So originally, Alfred wanted the shower scene to be silent, but upon hearing the score, he changed his mind and decided to add music, which was a good decision, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, look, I don't, I don't know how the scene would have played without music, but I'm sure somebody on YouTube has done that. Yeah, but I do right. think, I, I do think that. The music really adds a lot to the scene, and the music makes the scene more uncomfortable. Yeah, it does. It does. So, chocolate syrup was used as blood as it showed up better on camera. Yeah, black and white. Yeah, <laughs> I think they used the same thing in Wizard of Oz too. They used oh, yeah, they used chocolate syrup as the Tin Man's um, oil. That, yeah, they did. They did. So this. This last piece of trivia was actually I, I found this so fun. So Alfred Hitchcock bought the rights for the book Psycho for $9,000 and then brought a, bought as many copies as he could to keep the ending secret. Oh, my God. And also, <laughs> also, when he took the book to the studios, they didn't want to do it. They were like, no, this is bullshit. This is never, this is never going to fly. Nobody's going to want this. Nobody is going to see this. So Alfred actually said, okay, don't pay me. If you want to pay me, I will take a part of the profits that the movie makes. Ah, ha, ha, ha. smart and, man! And I think it was Param. I think no, Universal. It I was think Universal, they said, yeah. and they said, okay, we won't pay oh, no. you. And 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 the movie ended up making literally millions of dollars, which made Alfred Hitchcock a millionaire. <laughs> hell yeah! Hell yeah, man! I mean. Yeah. I mean, I mean, good on him, you know, good on him for believing in his project and 
good on him for wanting to keep the secret for wanting to keep the twist of the movie mm. uh as preserved as he could. Yeah. I have one more bonus fact for you. Definitely. Um so when Alfred Hitch- when when Alfred Hitchcock was developing this movie, mm. he didn't initially want to kill off uh the main character mm. after 48 minutes. Uh-huh. He wanted to keep her alive. Um and and it was it was his wife who told him who suggested to him wouldn't it be wouldn't it be something amazing if you killed your main character after the first 48 minutes mm. yeah so the reason <laughs> so 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 the whole reason why this movie has the giant turn is because of what Alfred Hitchcock's wife said doesn't the wife always know though <laughs> yeah man i mean look i mean i mean, I mean look it is it is true in friendships and it is true in marriages, behind every stupid guy, there's a brilliant woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that, but good on her. She made the movie what it was. If Marion had been had stayed alive, I don't think it would have had the same impact. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I really think that I really think that that one action really, again, like I said, when it happened, it takes them away from writes it up to upside down, and it, yeah, exactly. It it puts the audience in a state of. Oh my God, what the fuck is going to happen next? Exactly, exactly. So if that's it, yeah. if there's nothing else, we're going to go. Are we going to, we're going to go. We're going to go. Oh, we're going to go. We're good. We're going to go. All right, that's it. That's the end of our review of Psycho. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week is our season finale. And next Woo-hoo! week, woo. <coughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just choking on my own spit. Next week, <laughs> next week, We have the movie as our season finale for season three, Insidious. Um, Thank you. Thank you you for thank you for picking this, Marcelo, because this movie is so fucking creepy. So fuck you very much. (laughs) It has one of the one of the scariest scenes I have ever seen in a movie. That when I saw in this, uh, yeah, and I'm a horror person. When I saw this particular shot. In the cinema, I wasn't expecting it, and it it I, I thought I was gonna have I thought my heart stopped. I was like, oh oh my god! And it is the most talked about shot in probably not in horror history, but it is one of the top shots that you're not expecting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this movie is all kinds of creepy. And yeah. fuck, I'm gonna have to watch this during the day. I've seen this a few times. Great movie, great movie, but. Okay. It's fucking scary. So, but that's our season finale next week. If you would like to email us, you can email us at the mixtape pod at AOL.com in anything that you want, any capacity, comments, questions, reviews, podcast voice. If someone is kind enough to make you a mixtape, that must mean that they really love you. The mixtape podcast is a balloon head productions presentation. <laughs>